0: I'm going to ask you as you remain standing to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and we're going to read just a few passages of scripture. I've been fooling around the, in the epistles a lot lately, just kind of reading the mindset of the Apostle Paul. The apostolic is a heavy mantle to carry. The apostolic is the kind of anointing that will pioneer a thing. The apostolic anointing doesn't look for a path. It blazes a trail. The apostolic anointing is never a stereotype. It always operates as a prototype. The apostolic anointing sets the pace for the people. The apostolic anointing will go into a region, establish a beachhead, and advance the kingdom of God in that territory just because it has arrived. It's very important that we recognize the fivefold ministry and know what is standing before you when one of those offices approach a pulpit, there should be something that moves you with compassion with an evangelist that stands in a pulpit concerning the souls of men and women. It should be something that moves you when a teacher stands before you and he gives you instruction. It should be something that moves you when a pastor stands before you to pasture you, to nourish you and oftentimes nurture you. It should be something that moves you when a prophet stands before you and starts declaring things about your future that you've never seen for yourself because the prophetic will open your eyes to see stuff you've never seen. And it should be something that moves us when the apostolic anointing, the office of the apostle, approaches a pulpit and he begins to lean in on us, to press us to go further, do more. Can you say amen to that? So when we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, we find the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica. In verse 12, he says these words. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Acknowledge those who care for you in the Lord and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Verse 14. Verse 12 says we ask you, but verse 14 says we urge you, brothers and sisters. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened Help the weak. Be patient. (laughs) Be patient with everyone. I know that's right. Verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other. And for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in the good situations. Give thanks, no, it says give thanks in what? All circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I'm going to preach a message this morning called the House of Thanksgiving. Just say that to a few folks around you, the House of Thanksgiving. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for our church. Thank you for each man, each woman. Thank you for every family, every address. Thank you for the units here. Thank you for them. Thank you for every tribe, every troop. I thank you for the head of the households. I pray for the men, the fathers. I pray for the women, the wives. I pray for single adults. Pray for our young people and our children. Cover us with your blood. Help us to be holy. Help us to be healthy. And the result is we'll be happy. Bless our time together. Do something that only you can do. In Jesus' name, lift your hands, please. I break every generational curse off of your life. Just because your grandfather was a certain way does not mean you're going to be like that. Just because your daddy was a certain way does not mean you're going to be that way. The vortex, the gravitational pull that continues to attract you toward that curse is broken now in jesus name we break the stronghold deal with the mindset behind the curse lord and i thank you god that these people now will live a life of freedom the generational curse is broken and every generational spirit is dismissed if you feel free give god one more praise and we're going to get into the word Just give somebody an elbow and tell them I'm about to get mine. Amen? And then you may be seated. God bless you. Uh, first of all, I want to thank all of you that joined the church today and those of you who are here for the first time. We appreciate it. God is good. Hallelujah. God is good. Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Does anybody in here still believe in deliverance? Do you believe that God can deliver someone from drugs, like, just like that? I just want to be sure I'm in the right church. Hmm. Hallelujah. Does anyone in this building believe in healing? If someone could walk into the building sick, leave the building healed. One last question. I'll be just full of questions today. Does anyone in this building believe in restoration? Do you believe that God can take a marriage that is on the verge of divorce and deal with two people and reconcile them and they could live happily ever after? I just want to be sure about that. The Apostle Paul is unique not only in his perspective but presentation to the churches that he oversaw. I'm amazed at the Apostle Paul's sensitivity to detail in each congregation. Couldn't he have just written a letter? And just sent the same letter to all churches? It seems as though he could do that because all churches are filled with believers. So if the art of a believer or the following of Christ comes with doctrine, couldn't he just send a letter of doctrine to all of these churches? They all follow the same letter and get the same results. It seems that way to me. It seems like we ought to just be able to say a thing to one church and it resonates with every church. But Paul was sensitive to not just community. He was sensitive to culture. He would tell the church at Galatia carry one another's burdens because in that area there was a sense of independence that caused people to operate in isolation instead of community. So if a brother had a fault, he was oftentimes forsaken. So he would have to tell these people, if one of you is caught in a sin, restore such a one with the spirit of meekness. That's for them. But then he would turn around and tell the church at Philippi, my God shall supply all of your need, because there was need in Philippi, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Are you with me? But then he would turn around and tell the church at Ephesus, put on the full armor of God. See, that was a unique region. Because they had to fight spiritual battles other regions didn't have to fight. Because of the goddess called Diana that was in Ephesus, which was a goddess of sensuality, that was always inviting spirits into that region that would cause people to be distracted and detoured from their destiny because of their lusts. So he would say put on not some of the armor but put on the full armor of God. And then he would go into talking about standing. And he would say after you've done everything to stand stand therefore. Because each church needs its own letter. I'll say it again. Each church needs its own letter. And that's how sensitive he was to each church. And I love the way he treated this church. Thessalonica was, I just think that was his people. Really, read all the epistles. I've been reading them. He's got something going on with these people. Because he tells them at one, time, at one point, he says, the things that you've been doing, just do so more and more. You're doing so good, just, just keep doing it like that. And when he gets to chapter 5 in his first letter to them, the Bible calls verses 12 through 18 the final instructions. This is the church he established in the book of Acts chapter 17. I have not lost y'all, have I? Are you bored yet? Okay, I'm not going to try to bore you. I believe the eyes of your understanding are about to be enlightened. I think you just missed that. The eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. Jesus said what you understand cannot be taken from you. Some of y'all know some stuff, but you don't understand it all. Understanding will establish you. So these instructions here paint a picture of the culture that was encouraged to this church. The language communicated in this passage was the fabric of the foundation to this church. All communities, listen to me carefully, have an identifiable culture. And these instructions were those identifying marks brought to light by the most highly regarded apostle in history. Culture is the set of shared attitudes, shared values, and shared goals. I'll say it again. Culture is the set of shared attitudes, shared goals, And shared values. What holds a church together. And motivates the people within it to do the right thing. Rather than the easy thing is the culture. Culture preached right. Culture taught right. Culture lived right. Will make a people do the right thing. Even when it's not the easy thing. We live in a time where everyone wants the easy way. Be very careful that you do not become so complacent. Help me, Jesus, to say it right. And so comfortable by the convenience that our government has given you. That you do not go back to work. This pandemic has suddenly made everything easy. We can't get people back on the job. So we've got hundreds and hundreds of tankers sitting off of both coasts. And God spoke to me and said, isn't it something that the goods is at the coast, but there's no one there to receive them. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, I've got the goods. The question is, where's the people who are ready to receive them? I'll get into it a little bit more. The values, mindsets, and behaviors that constitute an environment conducive to and for your success is culture. Conduct creates culture. Say it again, Pastor Rick. Conduct creates culture. You're known by the way you behave. God is good. I think I told you that these verses here were the final instructions. To the church at Thessalonica So he tells them This should be the culture in regards To leadership This should be the culture in regards to each other And this should be The culture in regards to How you handle yourself Tell somebody I am sorry For ever delving in your business Yeah And look back at them and tell them Mind your own Business mind your own business is that not what Jesus told Peter when Peter started asking about John what's going to happen to him and Jesus said what's that got to do with you we want in everybody else's business say it again mind your own business hmm So he says in chapter 5, verse 12, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now, may I submit to you that when I put this message together this morning at about 4 a.m., I had to really tediously Walk through this first section because if I'm not careful, it comes across as self serving. All right, all right. <laughs> this is the kind of part of the message you want somebody else to come and say it to you, people. This is what preachers meet about in the green room. And the guest says, what is your church going through? And you tell them, man, if you would just hit on boom, 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 that that would help us a lot. And then they come out and act like, boy, the Lord just spoke to y'all. And the Lord didn't have nothing to do with it. So you have to be careful how you approach this. Because in regards to leadership, first of all, you must ask you who the... Ask yourself who the leadership is. And the Bible says those who care for you and admonish you. Those who exhort you and encourage you. How do you handle them? Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. King James Version says esteem them. That's the root word for estimation, estimate. Let them lead. Give them a place of leadership in your life. And you do it by honoring them. I was asked a question by some leaders not too long ago. And they said, Pastor Rick, what is your opinion of the state of the church and the condition of this generation? My immediate knee-jerk response was... It's very hard for a church or a generation to progress that is crippled in honor and respect. It's very difficult for a church or a generation to progress who is crippled in honor and respect. See, we have confused respect and honor. Honor comes when you recognize a person's value in your life. Respect focuses on the conduct of that person. Respect comes from your mind, but honor comes from your heart. Respect attaches worth to a person's position. But honor attaches worth to the person himself. Romans 13:7 says give honor where honor is due. Careful pastor Rick. When you refuse to tithe, it's not a money problem you have. It's an honor problem. Malachi chapter 2 says, If I am your father, then where is my honor? This is God speaking. And then in chapter 3, he says, You have robbed me. And the question comes back How have we robbed you? You have robbed me in tithe. And what? Offering. Tithe is your honor certificate to God. Your tithe and your offering is not buying anything from God. Come on in the building. Your tithe and your offering is not the dues you pay for your entitlement to sit in a church. Your tithe and your offering is between you and God. And if anybody handles that inappropriately, God will deal with them. Are y'all in the building? But honor is saying, God, I love you enough to be in covenant with you. I honor you as my father follow Jesus' ministry. He always went back to places not where he was received. He went back to places where he was honored. The anointing gets frustrated in atmospheres where honor is not in the place. So in regards to leadership, watch what he says one more time. Acknowledge those who work hard among you and admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard. Pretty good stuff, right? Yeah. Then in regards to each other, Come on. he says these words. We urge you, brothers and sisters. Boy, I just feel like I did a root canal right there on that tithe and offering. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we all just rest and think about that for a minute. That I just—I I thought I heard the drill. Just zzzz. <laughs> let me just share something with you. The Holy Ghost will always deal with you in places that you're oversensitive until you get over it. Hmm. So Joshua had all the people circumcised before they could progress into the promised land. Read it yourself. Joshua chapter 3, Joshua chapter 4. And he said, we're not moving from here until you are whole. See, the church is trying to get certain places and we can't get there because we're not whole. Because when you touch on subjects like we just touched and people keep jumping, you ain't healed. And until we get whole, we cannot go forward. So he said, you're going to sit here until you are whole. I really believe that God is trying to heal his people and get you over some of the pain and some of the hurt that you've suffered because of the abuse of leaders in your past. People who have taken advantage of you. People who have controlled you. People who have manipulated you. People who have played psychological games on you. I came by to tell you, get over it. At some point, you got to get healed, you got to get whole, you got to get over it, and then we can move forward. Somebody shout, get over it. Get over it. In verse 14, in regards to each other, he says, we urge you, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Verse 14, warn those who are idle and disruptive. They go hand in hand. If you idle, I promise you, you're going to end up being disruptive. Involvement equals stickability people who are idle and doing nothing are ultimately going to cause trouble in any community in any congregation, because an idle mind is the devil's workshop. I'm preaching better than y'all saying, amen. The King James Version calls these people unruly. It literally means in the Greek they cannot keep rank. They cannot keep rank. Verse 14 says, encourage the disheartened. What if we we had a church full of people that would look at feeble-minded folk on the verge of fainting or giving up and encourage them instead of kicking them out the church? You don't know how many people come in here today. Here's the thing about life, folks. We got to get used to this. You don't know what the person sitting next to you went through this week. How about if we had a church full of encouragers? Hmm. Help the weak. Boy, this is going to get deep, y'all, because now now this man has delved off into personal business. He's saying help the weak, those that are dealing with infirmities. You know what an infirmity is? An infirmity is not a sickness. An infirmity is a a propensity. It is a tendency. It is a bend in a man. Help those that deal with stuff that they can't get over. Help those who have a propensity to do stuff that will cause them to be derailed all the time. Why do you think he said be patient with everybody? Because everybody got something going on inside of them. Don't act like you're that holy. Some of y'all just went totally holy on me. Don't don't act, you're not that holy. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily entangle us. What I deal with might not be what you deal with, but we all dealing with something. Mine might be anger. Yours might be lust. But everybody in here is dealing with that one thing. Some of y'all are looking at me like you so holy you don't have one thing. Oh, you got one thing. You might be good at hiding, but there is something you got to deal with. What if we all took an attitude that said, I know everybody in this building is dealing with something and I'm here to be the help. I'm not here to cast them down. I'm not here to gossip about them. I'm not here to talk about them. I'm not here to reject them. I'm not here to forget them. But I tell your neighbor, I'm here to help you. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody, I think this preaches by itself, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. That's a tough one right there, boy. Because our attitude is, you get me, I'm going to get you back. Now, you know what is so cool about this letter? Is that he's not writing to elders. Y'all just missed that. He's not writing to deacons. He's not writing to his staff. He's writing to the church. Help each other. Make sure that y'all don't pay back wrong for wrong. That means you're in the foyer and somebody's gossiping about somebody else. And you overhear it. And you just put your arm around it and say, "Brother, we ought not be that way." Boy, I love that good old country vernacular. It just calms things down. Instead of coming up in there, so <laughs> I'll just leave it alone. I just like it easy. Just Now, brother, we ought not be that way." A soft answer turns away wrath. And if we would just all be that kind, how healthy. And JC, you said it right last week. I'm telling you guys. I've been into the growth charts, the growth seminars. We've done them all. I've been doing this 40 years. We know about all that. My goal is not growth. I'm sorry. I don't go to growth seminars. There can be stuff grow on you that's not healthy. You, you want growth. You gonna get you some growth, you're gonna to have to deal with them. Well what we're trying to build here is a healthy church where we help the weak. What if Quest Church was known as a church that really helped each other? That we made sure that we don't get wrong for wrong, you know. We we watch out for each other and we're we're really a family. That would be a strong church. Now, I haven't gotten to my message. He says, this is the culture you ought to have in regards to leadership. This is the culture you should have in regards to each other. But here's where I wanted to go today. How about in regards to yourself? How about taking care of you? The final instructions, he broke it down. This is how you treat leadership. This is how you treat each other. And this is how you must be. Verse 16, and I'm almost done. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. We're in the holiday season, y'all. I woke up this morning with my mind on turkey. I woke up this morning thinking about, man, we are just a week away from receiving our Thanksgiving offering. We're a week and a half away. Man, this year is gone. Thank you, Jesus. Is anybody else glad that time is moving on? (laughs) And I've got my mind on the smell of wassail. Some of you may know what that is. Some of you may not. Y'all like wassail. I love wassail. You know, the smell of cinnamon and and more cheesecakes from Amanda and Brad and, you know, all of these things. You, You got your mind on kitchens that smell right and gifts and kids laughing and it's a great season of the year right? And he says, for you personally, rejoice always. Now he tells them all of these things by saying this, are y'all ready for this depth? This is the will of God concerning you. Boy, we get so deep about the will of God. It's such a mystery. We live our whole life wondering about the, what is the will of God for my life? God, what's your will? I need your will. Put me on the wheel. Turn me on the wheel. I want your will because I know you're the wheel in the middle of a wheel. Oh God, give me the wheel. I don't know if it's the will of God. I, I don't know if this is. I don't. We just, and we are. And Paul says, Hey, it's very simple. This is the will of God concerning you. Number one, rejoice always. Philippians 4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Now, let me explain something to you because some of us do not have the full efficacy of what that means. Joy is a powerful thing. In Psalm 51, in David's prayer of repentance, he says to, to the Lord, restore the joy of my salvation. Now, you know this man just messed up. Can I preach in here for just a minute? This man just blew it. And he said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, your misdeeds do not jeopardize your salvation. They jeopardize your joy. are y'all hear what I'm telling you he didn't say restore my salvation he said restore the joy of my salvation some of y'all acting like you ain't saved You still saved, you just lost your joy. And when you lose your joy, you lose your strength. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is one thing, but rejoicing is another thing. Rejoicing is the act of having joy. You can have joy and not show it, but when you are rejoicing, you are showing the joy that is inside of you. We have lost the spirit of celebration in the house of God. We have lost rejoicing in the house of God, why? Because too many people carry too much guilt Guilt will steal your joy. Regret will steal your joy. You know what I prayed for you today? I said, Lord, baptize them in joy until they cannot hold their feet still. I ask you, God, to baptize them in joy till they cannot be silent. They got to put their hands together. Rejoice, O Zion. sing o oh barren woman and rejoice o oh zion folks we got to get our joy back enough of walking in the church our head down we're depressed we're regretting we're full of guilt that's the devil tell your neighbor get your joy back i'll say it again rejoicing is the action of having joy You can't be full of joy and be a deadhead at the same time. Y'all don't remember when the Holy Ghost used to break out in church? I got joy. I got joy. I got. Y'all remember that? I mean, somebody just break out in it. They didn't even know what they were saying. Just make up their own song. I got joy. I got joy. I got joy. Here's what I know. Joy is contagious. Joy is contagious. Now I knew I was in a battle today on this particular subject because of what happened to the Sooners. I knew it. I knew it. My pastor called me last night and said, man, what's wrong with them Sooners? And I said, they don't know, they don't know, we don't know, Riley don't know, Williams don't know, Rattler don't know, Battler don't know, Snatler don't know, nobody knows. What's wrong with the Sooners? Undefeated, longest winning streak. He said, how will church be in the morning? I said, attendance will be down. The people will be depressed and giving will be at the bottom. He said, are you serious? I said, a little bit serious, not totally serious. (laughs) Am I right about it? But here, I'm being frivolous, but hear what I'm telling you. Listen to what I'm saying. We let any little thing steal our joy. You know what? Just any little thing just takes our joy. I've been praying, God, put joy on your people till they cannot contain a rejoicing spirit, that they'll have to dance again in church I started saying, Lord, bring what we call Jubilee music back to the house of God. What is that? Come back, come, back, come, back, come, back, come, back, come, back, come back until you got to do something. You're gonna either leave or you're gonna clap. You gonna leave. Or you're gonna stop your you're gonna do something. Do I got any old school people in here that know about that old school church? Get a B3. So he says, for you rejoice when always. When the sooners lose. When the pastor says stuff you don't like. When your bank account is acting funny. When your body don't feel right. When the government is acting crazy. When there's tankers offshore. Rejoice when? Always. And again I say rejoice. Then he says for you personally. Rejoice always and pray. Continually. Pray continually. Pray when? Continually. Jesus said, "When you pray." He didn't say, "If you pray. So for all you ifers, you need to get you a win. What does that mean? When do you pray? I don't know about y'all, but I pray every morning same time, 4.30. You say, what's my pastor doing at 4.30 in the morning? My wife will tell you. She's got to walk over my prayers. At 4.30 every morning, I'm at my desk praying. Sometimes I pray in my mind. Sometimes I pray in my spirit, but I'm praying. My question is, when do you pray? If you don't get you a set time to pray, you're probably not going to pray. Find a time. I don't care if it's noon, lunch, you got your sandwich in one hand, steering wheel in the other hand, and you're praying in between bites. Oh, to all be patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Lord, I thank Him. Thank Him for the Big Mac, Jesus. Pray. Continually. What's that mean? Wake up and pray. Get in your truck and pray. Lay down and pray. Walk around your house and pray. Jesus said men ought always pray and not faint. Men ought always pray and not faint. Then he told the story of a woman. He said men always ought always pray and not faint. And then he talked about a persistent widow. You know why? Because Jesus himself knows that women get what they want. I ain't never been to a church with a section called the praying fathers. It's always the praying mothers. I went to Jamaica. I'm preaching for 3,000 people in the building and another 7,000 outside the building. I'd never been in a church like this. I walked in there, I started preaching. I can't say nothing, and they, rah! I said, Praise the Lord. Rah! <laughs> and I noticed on the right side, there's like 300 white hats. And they all look mad. They over here. I'm preaching, I'm sweating and everybody else going crazy and those ladies are sitting there like that. I'm thinking they mad. All of a sudden a lady from the back of the building comes running toward me and her tongue is going in and out of her mouth like this and I'm backing up and I'm thinking one of us about to get tackled. And I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm preaching. She's getting closer. And I'm thinking in the name of Jesus, I'm about to grab her in a headlock. Now I'm going to either choke her out or get the devil out of her. But stop that. It's about to happen. She gets about from that front row right there to me. And all the white that was over here was on top of her. And it was the praying mamas. And they did not let that girl up off that floor. She was trying to slither and get away. They would not let her up until she was delivered. See, praying people have a spirit of discernment. Praying people, that pray all the time. They recognize when things ain't right. Talk to me in this building. It ought to be like that in your house to where mama is walking around that house praying in the Holy Ghost. When anything shows up in that living room that ain't God, they know it immediately. Pray continually. I still ain't got to my point. This is the culture in regards to leadership. The culture in regards to each other. The culture in regards to yourself should be that you rejoice always. Yeah. Oh, I'm out of shape. <laughs> Don't you laugh, Joe <laughs> Pray continually. And watch what he says. Give thanks in all circumstances. I like it. Because he's so honest, he's, he doesn't say. Give thanks for all. He said give thanks in all circumstances. You know what a circumstance is. That's, a, that's the state you're in. That's the situation surrounding you. He said whatever you are in, give thanks. What are you in today? What are you in? You in trouble? Your family In a mess? Your marriage in court? Your children in drugs? What are you in? Give thanks. In all circumstances. Have you ever tried that? I did. I remember my dad in the hospital dying. And I heard the Lord say, give me thanks. I said, now hold on just a minute. I didn't come here today to give you thanks. I came here today to complain to you. To tell tell you, you didn't do it just like you said you was going to do it. See, some of y'all don't pray to God like that. Some of y'all pray in the King James Version. Oh. Thou, O God, sitting on thy lofty throne, unto thee, O Lord, I lift my prayer. Yeah, they do. You ain't been in enough prayer means. you in a mess you pray like Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat facing the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and he looked up at God and he said I don't know what to do boy offer more people that would pray like that are you there God I don't know what to do see when you get real with God God will send your prophetic messenger When he said, I don't know what to do, a prophet walked in the room. Jehaziel said, this is not your battle. Stand still and you shall see the salvation of God. All you got to do is sing. Lord told me, give him thanks. I said, I didn't come here to give you thanks. I came here to complain. He said, give me thanks and I'll work. I said, Lord, show me the word on that. And God led me to Psalm 50 and verse 14. This was in 1997. And here was the word. Offer unto God thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Watch. Then call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Did y'all hear that? He said, give him thanks. Whew, don't call on him, give him thanks. Some of y'all wanna call on him, but you don't give him thanks. He said, give me thanks, then call on me and I will deliver you. Don't just call on me, thank me for everything I've ever done in your life. God cannot resist a heart of gratitude. When you tell God, thank you, God will stop everything and deliver you from whatever you're going through. Some of y'all are in a hell of a situation right now and you're asking God to get you out and God is saying I'll get you out the moment you thank me for bringing you out the last 153 times. If you will just stop for a minute and thank me for delivering you from drugs, thank me for keeping your marriage, thank me for holding you when you're should not be held, thank you for keeping you qualified when you disqualified yourself, thank me for covering you when you were uncovered, you calling on me now, but you have not thanked me for everything I've done in your past, I need somebody in this building that will look back over your life and thank God for everything that he ever brought you through. I dare you to throw your head back, lift your hands, and tell him, thank you. Tell him, thank you. This is Thanksgiving month, and you got to tell him, thank you. you got to reach way down in your soul. That wreck should have killed you that disease should have taken you out but God kept you take a minute and thank him that you're clothed and still in your right mind you've done enough drugs in your life you should not even be coherent right now but God kept you clothed and in your right mind thank him for every meal you ate I don't care if it was beans and tortillas, thank God for everything, thank him for your wife thank him for your children, thank him for your house thank him for your job, thank him for every check thank him for every penny, thank him for every dime thank him for every relationship, thank him for every bad thing that showed up in your life and he turned it around and made it work for your good One thing we've all got in common. We've got a reason to give him thanks. All of us have a reason. Where would you be? Where would you be? The old saints used to say, if it was not for the Lord who was by my side, where would you be? The Amplified Version says it like this. He who brings an offering of praise and thanksgiving honors and glorifies me. And watch this. And he orders his way. He prepares the way. To him, I will demonstrate the salvation of God. Y'all just missed that. Your thanksgiving, you giving God thanks prepares your own way. God, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what to do. Give him thanks. You prepare your own way. Here's what I've learned. Gratitude confirms relationship. Let's all stand. Gratitude confirms relationship. I listen very carefully to people that I do things for. People that don't tell you thank you, they think you owed it to them. They're not in relationship with you. There's something powerful about just saying, man, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that. And when people just take stuff from you that you offer to them without showing some kind of expression of gratitude, there's no relationship there. There's only two people in this world. Only two. Givers and takers. That's it. You are either a giver or you're a taker. And when you're a taker, you're entitled. And when you're a taker, you feel like everybody is supposed to give to you. And you never say thank you. I remember Dustin was about that tall. I'd been playing basketball. I come home. I walked in. Yeah, I think he was nine years old. And I sat down, and I'd taken him with me to the game. Yeah. We were sitting down in the living room watching the news, and he just looked up. He followed me all, all over. His whole life, he just would follow me. He looked up at me, and he said, "Dad." thank you I said for for what he said dad you took me to the basketball game with you today you didn't have to do that I looked at that boy and I said you want a Corvette (laughs) because when people are grateful you just want to give and that's how God is God said I'm waiting for you to give me thanks, if you'll just give me thanks, you make space and you 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 give place for me to pour out blessing on you. There's not room enough to receive it. Lift those hands. Tell him today, thank you.